the reason there's a pulpit in the front of this church is because we believe that the Word uh, is the means of grace, uh, that it's uh, primary to us, um, a, a chief means of grace uh, along with the sacraments. And so uh, that's why we take uh, such time to look together at the Word as we will now. Um, God's ways are higher and wiser than our ways, and that includes uh, his ways with regard to the matters of marriage and divorce. And you can hardly speak about either of these without people sitting up a little straighter in the pews and readying their pencils and pens. Um, I'm passing through um, the Sermon on the Mount and uh, having polished off Verses 27 and 30 on the subject of lust, our Lord then continues to turn up the temperature and instruct the astonished Pharisees and scribes by turning uh, to the topic of divorce. Now, let me say um, this clearly and emphatically at the outset, lest anyone should misunderstand. This is not a text or a sermon against divorce. It's a sermon about the sanctity of marriage and against frivolous and unbiblical divorce. The scripture understands and the church must understand and teach about the sanctity of marriage. And as our Lord shows us in this text and others, uh, we must also understand and, and teach that this, in this sinful world filled with hard-hearted sinners, uh, some marriages... Uh, can be torn apart with violence and unrepentant sexual immorality with, uh, with in irreparable neglect. And some of you in this church have experienced that. And it never should have happened to you. The Church of Christ must protect and succor uh, uh, the innocent uh, in these sorrowful circumstances with sympathy and understanding. It uh, is... Um, in its concern, I think, out of rampant and growing numbers of divorces, the church has sometimes reacted unsympathetically and unbiblically and, and harshly. And that also is unacceptable and should never happen. Uh, divorce uh, obviously occurs within the context of marriage, and not everyone will marry or even should marry. The state of singleness is honorable and can be most useful in the kingdom. But once married... Uh, the honor of Christ and the stability of the church and the state, uh, uh, everything possible must be done to preserve uh, that marriage. Uh, that said, uh, God in his wisdom and in his uh, forbearing love has made provision for divorce and shown us how to do it in his word. And then, now to the text. Matthew chapter 5 uh, Verses 31 and 32. <clears throat> Matthew 5, um, beginning at verse 31. Um, as was um, Jesus speaking, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on grounds of sexual immorality 
makes her commit adultery, and over marries a divorced woman, commits adultery. Um, our Lord um, addresses a divorce on several occasions, and we need to turn to one other text this morning to learn a little bigger, fuller picture of this. And so I'll ask you now to turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 19, um, another occasion where our Lord addresses the subject of divorce. Matthew chapter 19, um, beginning at verse 1. Matthew 19 from verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond Jordan, and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from uh, the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one uh, to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife, or your wives. <clears throat> but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Well, on this occasion, some of the Pharisees had come to attempt to uh, trap Jesus uh, in an argument regarding a, a much uh, debated um, a passage uh, in the Law of Moses on the, on the matter of divorce. And Jesus, in effect, says to them, let's go back beyond Jordan for a moment. Um, and let's go back to the beginning and remind ourselves first of God's original intent with regard to, uh, to marriage. Uh, the reference back in Genesis reminds us that marriage is a divine ordinance, having divine uh, origin. God creates uh, the woman for the man and brings her to him. In this original uh, marriage ceremony with God, the proud father, giving away his precious creation, the woman whom he made as the bride in Genesis 2. Uh, the word of God here in Genesis 2, which Jesus refers to in Matthew 19, is not simply recording a, a fact of history, telling us that Adam happened to discover a woman and uh, at the same time very like him, but somehow unlike him, and proceeded to leave his parents for her. No, Genesis 2.23 informs us of, of God's specific creation of the woman and of her being, and of her being personally brought to the man, uh, telling us uh, in the next verse, 24, the implication of that, that a man should uh, leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Uh, 
So this marriage is an important part of God's purpose for mankind. It's not simply a matter of, of doing something that's sort of correct and looks better and so forth. It's not, it's not just that at all, in fact. Uh, uh, it's how God intends to keep his creation mandate back in Genesis 1.28 that we should be fruitful and increase in number and fill and subdue the earth. Uh, marriage is never demanded or required. Um, the Bible, again, is full of single men and women. Other combinations of a man marrying another man, for example, are strictly forbidden. But this union between a man and a woman is to be very close and very intimate. The two become one flesh, as our Lord reminds us. The closest, most intimate human relationship possible is through marriage. It's closer than any other relationship, closer than something between two friends, closer even than that of parents to their children or between two siblings. In the uh, apparent, uh, the, rather in the, in the parallel account in Matthew 19, which is found also and recorded in Mark 10, we, the reader includes Jesus' concluding words, therefore what God has joined together let men not separate. Uh, uh, marriage is intended to be an insoluble bond. Uh, to break it is, uh, is such an intimate and purposeful bond without biblical cause is to break faith with God and his purposes, uh, to establish stable families and fill the earth with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Well, now back to... Um, uh, Matthew 19, where we have Jesus confronted by some Pharisees who are likely far less interested in the matter of divorce than they are in trapping Jesus, as we're clearly told in verse 3. And we know from other places in the, the, in the Gospels that the, the Pharisees um, often sought to embarrass Jesus and find some way to sway public opinion uh, against him however they could with abstruse questions. And, and here's how they hope to do that. Uh, regarding the matter of divorce, there was a difference of opinion among several prominent rabbinical schools of Jesus' day. Um, and uh, they were the final arbiters of that day of how to interpret passages of the Bible. There were questions. He went to the rabbis. And there were several big schools. In the, and in the case of divorce, um, it uh, all revolved around the proper interpretation uh, of the law found in Deuteronomy 24, where Moses says, uh, said something to the effect that if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him and because he finds something indecent about her, he is to write her a certificate of divorce, give it to her, and send her from his house. Now, the debate revolved around the words translated as something indecent or some indecency. The liberal rabbinical school of Hillel interpreted that very widely. Even the flimsiest excuse was acceptable grounds for a man to divorce his wife, according to them, an uncooked uh, uh, supper or food that had been accidentally overly salted. That was enough. Now, the followers of Rabbi Akiva uh, went even further, saying something indecent was uh, that was displeasing could mean that the man had found another woman who was more attracted to his eye. That was sufficient grounds for divorce. The followers, however, of yet another celebrated rabbi, Rabbi Shammai, was probably closer uh, to the, um, at least what we read in 
the language of, of Deuteronomy 24 and limited the meaning to, of something indecent to be referring to some sort of sexual immorality or unchastity. Now, the whole purpose of the question, again, was to get Jesus to say something that would allow the Pharisees to claim it was contradicting Moses and the Old Testament law, or at least to entangle him in this argument and divide up his followers and diminish his reputation. But our Lord is not to be trapped. He takes them back, as I said, to the original intent of marriage, that of the divine ordinance intended as a permanent bond. Our Lord is willing to speak of divorce, but he wants to begin the discussion by reminding the Pharisees of the foundational importance of marriage. Uh, God's attitude towards marriage uh, and divorce is well represented in other places, and I think of the book of Malachi, chapter, chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, God says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his, and why one? because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as his garments, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Well, that's clear enough. But back to our secondary text in Matthew 19, where Jesus tells us that it's because of the hardness of men's heart uh, that that matter doesn't simply end there. Jesus is not contradicting Moses, but rather he's showing us that Deuteronomy 24 is not a justification for divorce, but rather simply a procedure to follow in the event of a divorce, uh, which occurs and is now as cheaply in the end because of the hardness of men's heart. In uh, place, uh, is, a, is there a place for divorce and remarriage? Yes, there is. God, in His wisdom, God, in His mercy, has made a, a narrow provision for it, a procedure to protect men and protect women, to regulate divorce, and to make it harder to obtain, even. Uh, we might say that while every divorce is caused by sin, not every divorce is sinful. Well, in both the Sermon uh, on the Mount, and on the occasion uh, recorded in Matthew 19, Jesus allows for divorce in the case of adultery or marital unfaithfulness or infidelity. Uh, the word Jesus uses on both occasions is the word porneas. Uh, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness uh, causes her to become an adulteress. Now, Adultery does not have to be the cause of a divorce, uh, uh, but it, does, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, result in divorce. But, but let me say that adultery is a grave and serious sin, and not one to be lightly dismissed, despite what we see in the media and the lives of many, where these talk shows come on and they, they, they laugh and, and 
joke about all the marriages and divorces they've had. Um, I've often heard Christians say, well, you know, after all, every sin is not equally, or every sin is equally bad in God's eyes. Um, they say that, um, I think, as a means of somehow lightening the weight of such a sin as adultery by comparing it to, say, petty theft or a lie. But in fact, that is not true, uh, that every sin is the same in, uh, in, in, in the sight of God. Uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it very well. Uh, all transgressions of the law are not equally heinous, but some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. In other words, the accompanying damage, the several aggravations, the, the collateral damage, we might say, done by adultery is so great uh, to the offended party, uh, to the scandal of the church and of relatives and the community of children, uh, the fabric of godly society, and especially God's intention to fill the earth with a godly seed. All of these are aggravating issues that make adultery especially grievous in the sight of God. Thank the Lord for the love of Christ and for the blood of Christ that covers our sins and does reconcile us to God in confession. Adultery is not an unforgivable sin. It does not even necessitate the, uh, the dissolution of marriage. If the guilty party is willing to, uh, uh, to repent and live faithfully with their spouse and accept uh, who will accept their repentance and pledge, the marriage may be saved. But it is so serious in the sight of God as to provide an exception uh, to his law forbidding divorce. Uh, it is grounds for divorce, marital infidelity within marriage or adultery. Uh, within the church, um, a man or a woman may divorce their spouse for such a cause and remarry in the Lord. But there's another exception, and that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where the apostle is addressing the matter of marriage. Now, Paul is, um, was actually an eminently practical man, despite what some may think, and he begins the, uh, this chapter with some practical commands in verses 1 to 7, and then in 8 and 9 he addresses the unmarried, and then in 10 and 11 he addresses a marriage between two believers, telling them not to separate, but if they do, urging them not to remarry, since that would spoil the chance of reconciliation at some later point. And then in verses 12 to 16, he addresses the case of mixed marriages, a marriage between a Christian and an unbeliever. Uh, the situation envisioned here is where um, the couple married perhaps as unbelievers, but then later one of them was saved, but not the other. And Paul says, well, live with that unsaved person if you possibly can. Uh, and he gives as a final reason because he or she might be saved through your testimony and for the sake of children, verse 14. Um, if you're uh, living with an unequal union uh, this morning, take heart. Faith can prevail. However, says Paul, if the unbeliever separates and rejects his spouse and will not live with him or her, deserts them, perhaps treating them violently, accompanied by violence, and will not repent of it, uh, in that case the church may regard them as irreparably breaking the marriage bond and their spouse may legitimately leave the marriage. Uh, 
Uh, the Christian in that case has not broken their marriage bond, so he or she is free to divorce and remarry. Uh, now, let me say this, lest there be any misunderstanding on this, because sometimes people read 1 Corinthians 7 and get hung up on the words printed frequently in parentheses, verse 10, uh, not I, but the Lord, and then in verse 12, I, not the Lord. Um, we're not to take that as some sort of contrast between Paul's words uh, versus Jesus' words, as if Paul was... Uh, words were not inspired and authoritative comparing to Jesus' words. That is not true. Um, nor is it Paul's intention to say that. Rather, what Paul is saying is, is look, Corinthians, the issue, uh, this issue did not arise in the course of Jesus' ministry in the heart of Israel. But now as the gospel has been going out into the pagan world, we're getting these mixed marriages where one person is converted but not the other. And I, Apostle of the Lord, am authoritatively now addressing that. That's the explanation between I, not the Lord, or the Lord, not I, verses uh, 10 and 12. So uh, those are the exceptions to the inviolability of marriage. Um, adultery and desertion, such as cannot be remedied by the church. Um, uh, they are given to the church to the church as concessions to the hardness of men's heart and women's hearts. They're given to regulate and bring order to tragic and difficult situations in this mixed up selfish world in which we live. And I'll give the last words um, to the great 18th century Anglican bishop J.C. Ryle. It's a good idea, writes uh, the wise Bishop Ryle, for those who are married or intend to marry, to ponder well the teaching of our Lord in this passage. Of all relations in life, none ought to be regarded with such reverence and taken in hand so cautiously as the relation between husband and wife. In no relation is so much earthly happiness to be found if it is entered discreetly, advisedly, and in the fear of the Lord. And none is so much misery seen to follow if it is taken in hand unadvisedly, lightly, wantonly, or without much thought. Brethren, let us commit ourselves uh, to a godly life and godly marriages, uh, should God so choose as to give us a husband or wife. And let us pray for the marriages uh, in the church and support those who are married and those unmarried. God does not love divorce, but he has made wise provision for it, and we must beware of quickly judging others who are in the throes of such separations. Let us support and encourage them in godly, appropriate manner, especially those who we might refer to as the innocent party. Uh, the matter of divorce today can be very complicated, um, but um, in these texts, we have a very solid, basic ground, pretty clearly expressed by our Lord. And I think we should thank him for it. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for um, your word. Uh, in this world, we have troubles, as you yourself told us. Uh, we thank you for the institution of wedding and marriages for whom you have appointed it. Uh, we thank you for the blessing 
And we thank you for the blessing of children that you give us within our marriages. But Lord, we recognize that in this world, um, often uh, these things become very difficult. And we recognize that in this world there are um, sometimes great violence and sometimes, Lord, some are forced out of marriages in a way that uh, you understand. But we pray that you would uh, help us to heal our marriages, help us to love our husbands and wives, and help us to have compassion, encourage those who have been cast out from them. Now, Lord, we commit these things to you. Thank you for your word, and we pray your blessing upon each one. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.